Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and let's go right to the phones. Joining us, the busiest man in the outdoors. He splits his time in half days here, half days there, a weekend there. But he's always in the outdoors promoting something, making something happen. Our own Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing well. You know, it looks like we're going to get a little prolonged prolonged uh, cold weather. So we should have ice fishing front range and mountains for quite some time before we even get to that, though. First, I want to thank you for being with us at the International Sportsman's Exposition and all the people that came by. It was great to see them. And then I want to hear about your tournament up in Blue Mesa. Absolutely, Terry. I, I tell you, it, it kind of broke my heart. Uh, first year and I, I think, 19 years at the IFE show that I wasn't at the show for all four days. Um, you know, grew up with that show. And, and honestly, uh, that show was the, the start of Tightline Outdoors in my business. So uh, it was absolutely great to present there. I wish I had a few more days there. Uh, but like you said, we uh, we try to take part in everything outdoors. Uh, and unfortunately, it's a uh, yeah, day here, day there. We travel all over the place. I'm actually calling in live from Utah. We're on the beautiful Echo Reservoir uh, at an ice eviction tournament. We have big rainbows, browns coming in uh, and enjoying some of the tremendous resources here in Utah. So a lot happening and, uh, and a lot of fun. But you mentioned it. The weather it has been on our side. And it just seems like the timing has been perfect. You know, we, we get some warm weather. And it just happens to snow right before the warm weather, and that snow insulates the ice. And then just about the time the ice melts, a cold front hits and locks it up. And uh, the front range ice is in great shape, uh, and fishing is tremendous. So uh, the mountains have great ice, the front range has good ice. So it, it is definitely an ice fisherman's year uh, by far. Oh, it really is. How were the? How did the tournament go at Blue Mesa? Were there some decent fish caught? You know, Terry, it was cool because there was so many fish caught. Uh, surprisingly, nothing big. Obviously, a lake that uh, has the opportunity to, to produce some absolute giant fish. We weigh, really weighed a, a really nice mix of rainbows, browns, and lake trout. Uh, we had depths as shallow as about 8 feet of water uh, all the way out into 100-plus feet of water. Uh, so it was neat to see the anglers really strategize on where they were going to go. Are they going to stay shallow for rainbows? Are they going to go to that mid-depth for browns? Are they going to go to deep water for lakers? Um, so, so a lot of strategy came into play. Um, and a nine-year veteran to ice addiction, a man who comes to every event, uh, rarely ever misses an ice addiction, Mr. John Cole, uh, early in the morning, he set the hook uh, on a brown weighing 2.8 pounds, uh, and it held all day, making him the uh, the overall winner of that Mitch Bevins event, uh, taking home $7,500 cash for a 2.8-pound brown. So it's so very exciting to see. Uh, and, yeah, and I think we weighed 140-something fish. Um, a lot of people caught more than that, but we have a live leaderboard that everybody can follow us on, on Fishing Chaos. So a lot of anglers, you know, saw that 30th place was, you know, say one and a half pounds or whatever it was. Um, so a lot of anglers weren't weighing fish because they could kind of keep up on it and know, hey, I need a bigger fish, let's keep fishing. Um, so a ton of fish were caught, 140 were weighed, and overall it was absolutely an awesome weekend up there at Blue Mesa. So before we get to updates on what the fishing is like now, uh, when when is your next, what are your next events? When are you, you got one more in Utah and one more in Colorado, is that right? That's it, Terry. We have a couple of private events mixed in, but yeah, we have uh, basically after today, we have two more events left. 
We're in Steinecker uh, Reservoir here in Utah in two weeks, um, and that's a fun event. It's just over the border uh, into Utah from Colorado, so just outside of, like, Dinosaur of Colorado, uh, just over the border in Vernal, Utah, and that's a fun event. That's the event that produces more fish than just about anywhere. Our overall highest rate of fish weighed uh, was just shy of 400 fish, and that was at Steinecker two years ago. Um, so a really cool fishery offering a variety of fish. I mean, rainbows, browns, you got big bluegills, bass. Um, so, so pretty much everything swimming in there. That's exciting. Um, and then our final event, our grand finale, uh, and probably, you know, again, one of the most entertaining events of the year uh, is at Grand Lake on February 18th. Uh, that's the ANA Topper Ice Addiction event. So our great friends at ANA Topper are putting that one on, hosting that, um, and it's exciting for them because – Grand Lake is just such a neat atmosphere. It, it's breathtakingly beautiful, and more so the the fact the lake resides right on the edge of town. So anglers can literally walk from their hotel room with their sleds and go straight onto the ice and onto the course. Restaurants will let you allow you know order food from the ice and they'll bring it down to you. So yeah, you have a fun event and you kind of mix it with the atmosphere of Grand Lake. Um, and that event is just so much fun. So tickets are on sale for both those remaining events, Steinecker and Grand Lake. Uh, everything's available at our website, tightlineoutdoors.com. Um, and then we're guiding seven days a week. So upcoming events, it's a nice mix between guided fishing trips and, and our events on the weekend. So what are you seeing out there on the ice fishing front? You know, Terry, things are going good. I'd say the one thing that we're starting to see really as of this week, um, that walleye bite continues to be probably the hottest topic, um, Chatfield in particular. But we're just now seeing the fish starting to move to slightly deeper water, which is very textbook of a walleye. Um, It's pretty common for early ice, those fish to be in somewhat shallow water. Um, And then almost every year, mid-season, so it's usually that mid-January, that mid-ice season, those fish go just slightly deeper to where, you know, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I was catching my fish in 8 to 12 feet of water. It seems like that hot spot now is like that 14 to 17 feet of water. And when I say that, I'm talking about the top of the structure. So before it drops off to the deeper water. So we just move just slightly deeper. So the top of the structure is in that, you know, 14-ish, 17-ish, um, you're going to have a good day. So we just saw our walleyes, both Chatfield and Cherry Creek, uh, but again, we're hitting Chatfield the most, just move slightly deeper. Um, so if you are recently struggling, that's the biggest trick. Move to that slightly deeper water, and you'll pick right back up on those fish. All right. Well, how are the ice conditions at Chatfield and Cherry Creek? We're good. Our shorelines are staying strong. Our ice is good. Um, I mean, as we get warm days versus cold days, snow melt, things like that, I think the biggest changing conditions that we see is current. So, you know, we see them increase the flow rate out of Chatfield, increase the flow rate out of Cherry Creek, um, which causes the currents to change, which can eat the ice away from the bottom half. Uh, or from the bottom up. So right now we're, we're very good. There's a, you know, a handful of pressure ridges that you got to be super cautious of on both fisheries, uh, but almost more on Chatfield. And you got to be super cautious anytime you're around you know, those channels. So we're still carrying a spud bar, but in general, our shorelines are, are holding up. Um, our ice is holding up very well. And look at the forecast. It stays cold. Um, I don't see that ice going anywhere anytime soon, for sure. What about Antero and 11 Mile? Are you doing much there? 
We are. We are. We're doing do, hitting both of those fisheries. Um, honestly, we're starting to see a little bit of a transition, and it's not necessarily because of the bite, more so just how we do business, um, but we're starting to do those kokanee trips at 11 Mile. Um, those kokanee are just now starting to gather. Um, I do think the, the peak of the bite is still ahead of us, um, but we're starting to get the kokanees at 11 Mile. We're catching some pike. We're doing a lot of lake trout fishing as well as rainbows. Um, conditions there kind of change by the day. Um, ice is good. <clears throat> So your ice in those fisheries is strong. Um, biggest change in conditions is snow. So if we get a snow front, um, obviously there's snow on the ice, makes you know hiking around, covering ground a little harder. Um, it's been having some extremely high winds. So if you get a good windstorm, it's blowing that ice off and or drifting that, or blowing the snow off um, and or drifting that snow. So as far as like surface conditions really depends on almost on a day-to-day basis wind versus not wind you know following a storm versus not um to, to really you know kind of describe the, the surface atmosphere up there what kind of presentations are you using let's break down some of the lakes Antero. let's start with antero and then 11 mile you know antero i would say number one uh for those bigger rainbows the browns the cutthroats um, if you're looking for the browns, I'm staying in deeper water. So if you want the browns, I'm hanging more in the east half of the reservoir, uh, you know, off of the dam, off of that south shore, uh, excuse me, or the north shore. So off the north shore of the dam, I'm in that deeper water for those browns. If you can find an edge or the bottom of a contour change where there's a couple little drop-offs there, um, that's where I'm getting most of my browns. All my, my cut bows, my bigger rainbows are all in shallow water. Um, I'm either right up on shore in shallow water and or on the top end of a break. So if you look at the south side of Antero, so everything kind of east of Antero Island, there is a, a massive flat there, and that big flat has almost a mile of drop-off around it. kind of makes a square. So the top of that, you know, contour piece is five to six feet of water, and it tapers off to about 10 or 11. And that little minor change right there is holding a ton of fish. So I'm sitting on the shallower sides of little drop-offs, shallower sides of weed patches, um, and that's how we're catching our biggest fish there. As far as technique, um, it's a little bit of everything. We started off using a a lot of rattle baits, a lot of reaction baits. In the last two weeks, it's been a combination of everything. You know, slip bobbers are dead sticks with a small tungsten jig, uh, with a wax worm, with a piece of shrimp, with a mealworm. Um, you know, small paddle tail jigs and little tube jigs are working well. And those rattle baits are still working well. So honestly, I would say it's almost a, a day-to-day presence up there. I would say that burnt orange or brown color is still probably producing the most fish. Um, but, but we're definitely mixing up our technique to kind of have a, a wide variant of what's catching those fish. Um, 11 mile, pretty similar. The salmon, we're out in the channel. Uh, so right outside of basically the North Shore boat ramp uh, out in front of Coyote Ridge, that's where we're catching those kokanee. They're in the channel and they're swimming in route anywhere from 20 to 40 feet below the ice. I would say that 15 to 35 is probably that sweet spot. Um, but in general, we call it 20 to 40 feet down is where those kokanee are coming. We're using very bright colored spoons, white, orange, pinks, uh, bright, bright colored spoons tipped with mealworms uh, is doing very well. And we've been doing better on mealworms than we have waxworms at 11 miles. So that's kind of that trick there. As far as the rainbows at 11 mile, avoid the traffic. My number one you know, option for, for catching more fish, if you pull up and there's been a lot of anglers there, move to a different spot. You find fresh fish, you're going to catch a lot of fish at 11 mile right now. When you use a mealworm, do you break the end off to get a scent trail, or do you just let the what comes from where you hook it? 
kind of half and half, Terry. So I honestly do kind of a two-part system. So I almost always hook them, uh, you know, towards the back. So I'm hooking them towards their butt of the, the mealworm, letting their legs extend out. So that way they get a little bit of movement off those legs. I'll drop down that and fish it for five to seven minutes. After five to seven minutes, it's starting to die. It's starting to get waterlogged. I then bring it in, um, and I rehook it, and I hook it from the head portion, um, and then I pinch off the tail. So it's a two-part process. I would say I switch out full mealworms every 15 to 20 minutes, but I do five to seven minutes um, with a whole mealworm, not pinched. Then I flip the hook around, pinch off that tail end, really let the guts and kind of that, that smell ooze out, um, and, and use it there for another 10, 15 minutes, and then I change it out to a new piece of worm. So kind of a two-part process on the, on the mealworms. I'm a firm believer because you can't chum in Colorado. In a lot of states, you can. But I'm a firm believer in having a presentation down there with some kind of scent, whether it's artificial scent or natural, um, in conjunction sometimes with another presentation. I firmly believe that if you're, you know, unless you're moving a lot because you just can't find the fish, that it really does help bring fish into your area. I agree 100%. Yeah. So... What about Chatfield? What are you what what are your presentations there for the walleyes? And is it a- absolutely you know not not is a whole a- lot has changed on that front. We're still doing exceptionally well on spoons. But I mean, we're catching them on the glide baits, catching them on rattle baits, catching them on, you know, vibrating baits like blade baits. So everything's catching fish, but I would say uh, a spoon is doing best, a rattle spoon in particular. So if you're using something like a rattle spoon from Clam, uh, like Northland Buckshot Spoon, so these, these spoons with rattles in it um, are doing very well. Colors, um, catching them on almost everything, but I would say that a perch pattern is probably my, my premium choice. So a perch pattern rattle spoon tipped with a fresh uh, you know minnow head that I'm pinching off um, is doing very well. Uh, but we're also catching a ton of fish on live bait are uh, doing better on fatheads than we are shiners but but a live minnow under a bobber a live minnow on a dead stick um, is producing a lot of fish so if you're going to do a two rod combo have a minnow down there just off bottom on a dead stick have a spoon on the other rod uh, tip of the, with a minnow head and you're going to catch a lot of fish has it been a twilight bite morning and evening? I've, I've heard they actually have been biting through the day at Chatfield. Those fish are hungry, Terry. So your peak bite is 100% early and late in the day. So, you know, we're starting our trips out there at 4.35 a.m. We're fishing until 8 or 9. That's kind of that, that peak window in the morning. Afternoon, we're really doing a lot of our fishing from like 3 o'clock to about 6.30 or 7 p.m. And that's kind of that twilight hour. Uh, but in the last couple of days, uh, Dustin Sigler's out there fishing. Uh, I have some other friends out there fishing while you've been in Utah, even early in the week. Um, there's definitely fish going all day. I wouldn't say that your numbers midday are going to keep up with your twilight fish, but at the end of the day, we are still catching fish at 10, 11, noon. Um, so, so there's definitely a day bite out there. A lot of years, I would say it's 100% not worth your time to stay out there all day. This year, um, you're not going to see as many fish, but you're still going to catch fish through the course of the day. I just made a note that there's a 4.30 in the morning, too. I didn't know that when I heard you say <laughs> It's pretty funny, Terry. You know, obviously, everybody knows my world. I go to the gym at 2, 3 in the morning. It's funny. When I tell people time, and some people look at me, and they'll say a.m., and I'll be like, if I say a time, you can just assume it's a.m. versus p.m. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nate, we're going to let you go. If people want more information, how do they find it? Just go to our website, tightlineoutdoors.com, or our Facebook page. Uh, again, our Steinecker Ice Addiction event. If everybody's listening from Colorado, you want to make a quick little trip. Vernal is a cool town, very affordable lodging. 
Steinecker is awesome. They sell a one-day license. We'd love to see some people out there at Steinecker from Colorado. And then, obviously, grab your tickets now for the Grand Lake event. Uh, again, title sponsored by A&A Topper. So a lot of stuff going on. Go to our website. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to get you on the ice. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, Nate. Thank you, sir. Nate Zielinski, always a great resource. Speaking of great resources, we have another one coming up in Austin Parr. Let's take a quick time out, and we'll talk some more fishing with Austin Parr on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear and 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right back to the phones. Joining us, one of our favorite resources. He's a regular. He fills in for me sometimes when I'm gone, and he actually catches some fish once in a while, too. Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. Before we get into some fishing updates, thank you for joining us at the International Sportsman's Exposition. Your, your presentations were phenomenal. I hope people enjoyed them. And the fact that you teamed with us to help give away, give 90 kids fishing tackle that was donated by some manufacturers. Uh, Eagle Claw gave 20 rods. The Rathers Group with uh, Lose Reels gave us 50. And then ISE bought 30 tackle boxes. So we had a lot of kids that left with smiles on their faces. And that really just makes the show for me. Absolutely. I mean, it's fantastic to have those kids lined up on that Sunday coming down and and getting their new piece of equipment hopefully building a passion like uh, you and i have had throughout our lives yeah it, it certainly has affected our lives and i hope what i think is a positive way so i'm very excited about it definitely so we, we're going to get into some fishing updates here and what you're seeing i want to piggyback on something nate said um because i know you're seeing this throughout the front range ice fishing and We're going to have probably front-range ice for quite a while. We can talk about that in a minute. But he talked about the fact they're using more live bait this year. And you told me earlier in the week that minnow sales have been just phenomenal. Absolutely. We were looking at our sales since the start of the year, and we've sold 1,500 dozen fatheads um, so far here in 20-plus days. And, you know, a lot of times guys will buy them just for the sake of having them. You know, they're heading out on Metro Ice. Maybe they'll catch a trout or two on them, some smallmouth. Usually the walleyes don't participate on those as much. But particularly at Chatfield, that live minnow bite has been this, the shining star, really. I mean, we've been catching fish on spoons and jigging wraps, tipped with minnow heads pretty frequently. But the majority of the fish, well over 50%, are coming on a slip bobber rig with a live fathead. Well, you know, and as we talk about the fishing that's going on, especially the front range, I'm sure we'll talk about a, a bunch of different places. Uh, a minnow, especially a fathead because of its size, it'll catch walleyes, it'll catch trout, it'll catch crappies. And we've got ice on a lot of our smaller lakes like Douglas and uh, Lon Hagler. And then, of course, we've got the Boyds and the Chatfields, the Auroras. Uh, any the one thing you have to be careful of minnows are legal live minnows are legal below 7,000 feet as long as there's no special regs on that body of water you really have to be careful with that but other than that I mean coming from the midwest year many years ago it was rare at times uh, certain bodies that we didn't go out with minnows with us on the ice I know and and I mean the the, the minnow thing is has been really the shining star, like I mentioned. And then, you know, piggybacking off of what you said there, that definitely below 7,000 feet, 
but then also has to be on the eastern slope as well. Some folks uh, have a misconception they can use those out at places like Rifle Gap or Harvey Gap, but you cannot fish them west of the west of the Continental Divide. Um, but having those along the front range, it's legal in the majority of your bodies of water. Uh, making sure you have your receipt on you is also another piece of legislation that is a uh, an often uh, a misunderstood one. They're looking to check that you're coming from a certified bait supplier rather than having them netted yourself. So making sure you keep that uh, that receipt on you is also important. So what are you hearing on some of the lakes? Chatfield really has been the best fishing over any of these front range bodies of water. Uh, with the lack of shad out there, the walleyes have been really eating pretty much all day out there. The, the low light conditions have been the best. Uh, I've been doing very well in the evening out there, but the early morning also has been productive. But then the midday bite, although it slows down a little bit, you can still find quite a few fish. And one of the interesting aspects out there is that a lot of the fish that we've been catching have been suspended. So having a sonar to be able to see those fish halfway down in the water column has been worthwhile to reel baits up to them and, and hit them. But then Cherry Creek still has been okay. That's definitely been more of the low-light conditions, to say the very least. But your overall higher-quality fish typically are coming out of Cherry Creek, although I've been hearing of a few giants coming out of Chatfield as well. How about trout at both places? There should be good trout in both those lakes. Yeah, you know, a lot of guys, I don't hear a ton of people heading to Cherry Creek to target them specifically. However, I hear of quite a few getting caught out there, and especially with some of the trout that get stocked right before the ice comes on. It's a good opportunity that I think gets overlooked quite often. Uh, maybe hitting the walleyes in the early morning and then shifting to some of the shallows for the trout can be worthwhile. And then at Chadfield, we have great populations of good holdover trout as well as freshly stocked ones uh, from the, the fall stockings before the ice comes on. And usually for those guys, I'm more on the main flat areas like the Swim Beach area or right out in the North Boat Ramp Cove. Uh, you know, the walleyes are more out on those deeper drop-offs, so we're not catching as many trout out there. So if you're looking to target those trout, getting in that shallower water range of 10 to 14 feet of water seems to be the best range. And don't overlook that minnow for the trout either. They'll, they will hit I that. Mean, yeah, you might run a, a spoon or a little rat finky with a mealworm on it and then have that minnow on the dead stick. Yeah, I always have something active when I put a minnow down. Um, what have you heard about some of the smaller bodies of water like St. Verain? St. Verain's been fantastic. They did some in-ice stocking here over the last couple of weeks out there, and guys are just catching tons of fish. If you have a kid that wants to get on some ice, uh, that's a really good spot to go right now. Tons of catchable-sized rainbows with some panfish mixed in. Bass fishing's been a bit slower out there from what I've been understanding, but the trout fishing and, and bluegills have been really uh, pretty hot. Now, any particular ponds or bodies of water at St. Frank? Because there's about a half a dozen there. There are. I mean, Blue Heron, I believe, is the, the flies and lures only version, I believe, off the top of my head. Um, but that main one in the middle, I don't fish it a ton, but I, I, I believe it's Mallard. Uh, that one has been doing pretty darn well, and they stocked that uh, just a few weeks ago. Well, you know, and there's that one bigger lake that was going to not have trout, but I think they have put some in it. But it has yep. walleyes and some other and walleyes and bass. Um, have you heard anybody catching walleyes out there? Yeah, here in the summertime, and and certainly some saw guys and some walleyes. They stock some pike in that lake as well, which get hit quite often. Uh, those guys were I heard some good bites going on there. And then some catfish, but through the ice, I have not heard many reports of those. Well, you know, one one opportunity that you and I haven't really talked about, and typically, 
they don't get ice for very long because of the water level changes and it's just big enough and where it's located. And that's Bar Lake. Now, Bar Lake's got some decent ice I'm hearing. Anytime we say, folks, that someplace has decent ice, always check because there's no such thing as safe ice. Just ice fishing is safe as long as you use common sense. But I would think that minnow presentation we were talking about out at Bar Lake with a multi-species out there, if you got locate some fish, that could be a gold mine. Totally agree. And utilizing some of the mapping technologies like the Insight Genesis social maps that Lawrence has to offer really does show some of the underwater contours really well. And finding some of those drop-offs out there, I think, would be even more important than Chatfield. Many times at a lake like Chatfield with so much bottom composition changes, you can really find those edges a lot easier. But out at Bar, they are a little bit fewer and further between. So if you can get on those edges, I would imagine that those walleyes as well as some of the other species may be concentrated on those drop-offs. And you might find a spot where you're getting good action with less pressure than Chatfield is seeing. I know J.R. Pierce, if he's already on the line, is probably listening because he lives right by bar. And he's I know he's been talking to you. He's getting pretty wound up to go do more ice fishing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've been uh, selling him some stuff over the last little bit. Yeah, uh, he, uh, him and I talk about it all the time. That's, I'm going to get back on the water with him soon. It's a lot of fun. Anything in the mountains that's really jumped out at you before I let you go? One quick thing, you know, I've been hearing of a lot of slush on the big water. Granby has had pretty variable ice conditions from what I'm understanding up there. So using uh, good caution and being prepared with good waterproof boots anywhere in the northern Front Range Mountains uh, is a pretty important thing. Uh, but Terriol, I've been hearing great numbers of trout as well as some nice pike on some water dogs. Okay, and we had uh, Dan Shannon on from Granby early this morning, and he said they're getting some cold weather up at Granby, and it's starting to firm up, and they think by the tournament next weekend that they'll have pretty good ice and pretty good mobility. But he, he mentioned that, you know, be careful as you're going out there, especially with ATVs or snowmobiles. Terriel's one we don't talk about enough either <laughs> um, because it's got both the pike and the, the trout, do many of the anglers you talk to maybe stick a tip out one, up once in a while out there? Absolutely. I think if it's if you're going to set a tip up up anywhere, I mean, that's one of the, the premier spots to do it in Colorado. Uh, you have great shallow water uh, weed lines toward that inlet side and truly some nice-sized pike. I mean, there's overlooked large pike in that lake, uh, and you have good opportunities to catch those as well as good numbers of trout. You're not usually catching the giants that you're finding at 11 Mile or Antero, but there's good numbers of healthy trout. All right, my friend, we have to let you go. If people want more information, where do they find you? I'm at Discount Fishing Taco or six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right. We will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Terry. You bet. That's uh, Austin Parr. Always a great resource. Uh, we're going to change gears a little bit. We're going to take a time out, then we're going to come back and talk some shooting. And JR is going to tell us some of the interesting questions that Shooter asked him at the ISE show. That and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones and one of our favorite guys who was with us out at the ISE show, J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Terry. <laughs> I don't know if you tuned in in time or called in in time, but Austin and I were talking about getting you out on uh, 
Bar Lake with some minnows off some of those drop-offs because I know you love that lake to ice fish. Maybe we'll... You there? Yeah, go ahead, Terry. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I did talk to Austin. He's actually going to hook me up with some ice gear. I am extremely excited uh, to go out and try something I've never done there. Yeah, let's we'll talk well, if we have time and before we but let's talk some shooting first. You were at the International Sportsman's Exposition. It's uh it's the one time every year that without coming to the facility, well why they wouldn't come, it's easy access and it's close to town. But people can stop by and ask questions. And you told me you kinda want a direct uh to talk about some of those questions you got at the show. Yeah, Terry. And you know, and I think first, Terry, I should go ahead. <clears throat> Excuse me, and thank all the folks that stopped by the Colorado Clays booth to say hi to Corey and I and to learn about all the things that Colorado Clays offers year-round on a public access basis and to any level of firearms enthusiast from beginners on up. It really was a pleasure seeing and working with all of you, so you know, thanks to everybody that stopped by. But kind of moving to your point, Terry, you know, as we go through each year, we offer so many tips recommendations and services available here at Colorado Clays for all different types of firearms activities that, you know, it sometimes seems repetitive to those of us who regularly enjoy these benefits and understand their value. And once again, it amazed me that the bulk of the questions people had at the ISE and the bulk of the answers we give uh, relate right back to the topics we cover and the services we offer right here at Colorado Clays and talk about on the show all year. So, yeah, Terry, it's just really interesting to see. Uh, and there was, you know, a, a bunch of different things we can talk about, and they all come back to our, our normal format. So what are some of the topics that seem to be more prevalent that people asked you or brought up? Well, Terry, and, you know, always beginners. So there's always a lot of people wanting to get into shooting, uh, you know, in multiple different, you know, shotguns, rifles, pistols, whatever. But I think one of the things, and we cover this a, a lot, is having the proper firearm for the age, for the stature, and for the ability of the beginning shooter. Uh, many folks came up to me during the show they had a beginning shooter. They took him out, and basically what they did was overwhelm this new shooter um, in an area that was far beyond where they should have been for their ability. Of course, Colorado Clays has training areas for all the different uh, types of shooting, and we explain, you know, that's where people need to begin. You need to get a proper fitting firearm. You need to go to a training area. It never hurts to pattern a shotgun just so that beginning shooter understands what's actually going on downrange. Uh, that's a very big one. Um, specific practice for whatever you're doing. So lots of uh, bird hunters that are looking for trips to South Dakota, et cetera, did not realize that we had the ultimate, um, you know, upland game practice, meaning our wobble traps and such. A lot of the bird hunters, everybody has their own choices, but we do have some very specific practice for specific types of hunts and shooting. Again, going back to the Colorado Clays pattern board for the turkeys and such, um, lots of explanation there. Of course, Terry, it always amazes me how many people come up and say they, they missed uh, a hog on a Texas hunt or they missed a deer. Uh, and going back to, we say it all the time, sight in prior to your hunt. Um, a lot of them didn't realize that 
some of those guns do have a most accurate load at ammo and that will be specifically suited to the type of hunt. And then, of course, talk about our clinics. They are very in-depth on the function of their firearms, on sight-in, on breathing techniques, on uh, holdovers and ballistics. So all of that stuff is just amazing how many people were not aware of it. Of course, Colorado being the number one venue for events, uh, you know, they were just amazed at how easy it is to schedule, sign up for, and uh, put on an event of any size from friends and family to hundreds of people. And I think probably the last one that just really is amazing, Terry, is uh, people not realizing that they live right here in the metro area. They had no idea we're here and uh, that we're so, you know, they were so close to Colorado's number one rated public range. And uh, we really are just a quick drive on the interstate from anywhere on the front range, and that uh, that was something people were really amazed at as well. Well, you know, another thing, you and I talked earlier in the week, and something that kind of came out of some of this too was some places that people will go shoot don't have the facilities that that level of, level of shooter needs or their training is kind of moves along too fast and some new shooters not only get overwhelmed but they get left behind they they never really catch up uh, did you hear that a lot yeah and and that's absolutely right terry and there's nothing worse to take a new shooter uh throw them into something they're not ready for particularly if they're shooting with somebody who has done it and they do they just get that feeling of overwhelmed left behind and uh inadequate whatever you want to call it and that's the last thing you want to do with beginning shooters you need to go out take it a step at a time take advantage of everything we offer here at colorado clays for the beginning shooter and bring them along at their own pace and make them feel good and comfortable about what they're doing so lots of that at the show and uh glad we could help with that you know what? One of my biggest things that I find helps me with my shooting is bigger targets. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure not shooting with Karen helps your uh, uh, confidence as well. <laughs> but also helps my fishing, too, because I do better when she's not there. At least that's what I say. But, <laughs> but you know, seriously, all joking aside, when you're taking a new enthusiast anywhere, whether it's fishing, hunting, or just shooting, um, don't make it about you trying to show them how good you are or to show off a little bit because that does intimidate them. Um, there's time for that. Like when my kids were younger, we competed in everything. But when they were starting out in things, you made it about them and their level of ability to do things. And whether that's shooting or, or playing basketball or going fishing, you know, check your ego. I have a saying, and this can apply to shooting too, about fishing. When you start taking your kids fishing, Take them fishing. Don't take them fishing with you. And the same thing could be true of shooters. You got a new shooter. You want to get them lined up. You want to get them comfortable. Maybe you could leave your gun at home. You don't need to show them how well you shoot. Take them out and see what you can do for them. And I agree with you totally, Terry. I do believe on occasion, you know, that may happen on purpose. But I think the bulk of the time, and people don't realize um, they are creating that scenario on accident. And, um, you know, they, they actually feel like maybe going out there and showing them how good it can be done is going to help them. And really, they only need to know how well they can do and progress at their rate. Because, um, again, overwhelming a new shooter or new enthusiast into anything is just makes it hard on them and not near as pleasurable. Well, my daughter and her husband got into uh, handgun shooting. And when I've taken them to shoot, 
I haven't even fired round. I mean, it, it served. Uh, do I want to? Yeah. Do I like showing off? Yeah. But I, it just serves no purpose when they're starting out. They need my full attention. And somebody coming out to Colorado Clays, whether it's a shotgun or rifle or pistol, um, you, they deserve your full attention. You know, don't get two lanes. Get one lane and share it with the, with the shooter or go out and just have one shooter and you'll be amazed. And you know what? You'll learn something about your own shooting, too, as you watch what they go through. Absolutely, Terry. And, you know, that's part of the reason uh, when we did our rifle and pistol range, we decided that minors with a paying adult in the same bay are going to be comped. And the reason we did that is we want those parents, those instructors, those friends, whoever, to be focusing on that person um, and to understand that we're willing to um, forego range fees to make sure that that beginner shooter has the experience they need. And, uh, uh, yeah, we're always proud of that fact, and it's always good to see people that come out and do their very best to make sure that they get a, a good taste their first time out. All right. How do people find you if they didn't find you at the show? Uh, give us a call, Terry, 303-659-7117. Go to our website, coloradoclays.com. Check us out. Take the virtual tour. Uh, but by all means, give us a call, check us out, and come see us. Now I have an assignment for you. Okay, let's you have need, it. You need to get some minnows. Roll flatheads would be the best. Then yep. you need to look at some maps and find a place on Bar Lake, and you need to go out and pre-fish it so I don't have to do any work. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I think if you would put a minnow off the edge of some of those drop-offs, there aren't a lot of them in Bar Lake, the, the subtle changes. And you put a minnow down and it worked like a spoon or something just a couple feet away. I think you might attract a number of different species, but you might have to move and drill a lot of holes. So I want you to go out there and do all that before I join you in the next couple of weeks out there. <laughs> Got it, Terry. Uh, again, uh, looking out for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll be fun. I think Bar is going to be a sleeper this year because it usually doesn't get the quality ice it has now, and these cold temperatures should provide some opportunity out there for quite a while, and it's virtually in your backyard. Yeah, agree, Terry, and I really do hope my open water knowledge will carry over to my new ice fishing um, game, so we'll see what happens. And it does, and you'll find that ice fishing – Presenting lures, especially when you can watch them on the electronics, will make you better at presenting lures because you'll see the fish reacting and you'll understand how they react to your presentation. Yep, and you're right, Terry, because I did you uh, you showed me that one time on the ice and uh, totally changed my thinking towards ice fishing, which is why well, I've got all my gear coming and it should be within a week. I'm going to be fully set up and it's game on. Okay, my phone will be ready, my friend. I'll let you go. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you, Terry. You bet. J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. Don't start talking fishing with him if you go out there to shoot because you'll waste half your time. You won't be on the range. But no, really, he's, he's a lot of fun. I, we enjoy it a lot. We're going to take a quick time out and we come back. We'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. All right, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan couple things I want to talk about before I get to Mr. Dan Jacobs. One is we're going to have colder weather on the front range for an extended period of time. That's going to help create even more fishable ice. 
I think there's going to be some great opportunities. And one way you could take advantage of this, if you're not an accomplished ice angler, you're fairly new, um, live minnows, uh, especially in the middle of the winter like this, can actually be a great presentation. If you have a second rod stamp, I'd buy some minnows, several places sell them, little um, fatheads, I wouldn't get big shiners. And then I would find some areas, whether it's something like St. Vrain Park or Bar Lake or Chatfield is doing well for walleyes, you'll catch trout there. And I'd put that minnow down close to bottom. And if you don't have electronics, then I would work like a jigging spoon in a, a hole just a couple feet away that will attract the fish in. I think that's going to be just a phenomenal way to catch some fish right now. So try that. If you have electronics, you might be able to see some fish up in the column, move that minnow up or down a little bit. But just the liveliness of that minnow swimming. You know, and if it's too lively, the fish don't like to chase. So a minnow down there and using some of the front range, you can use minnows east of the Continental Divide, below 7,000 feet, as long as there's no regulation on that body of water. I think if you give that a try, you're going to really boost your ice fishing success this year. Don't forget to follow this show on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Almost everything we talk about gets podcasts there. We talk about upcoming events. We get reports live from the field. Although you won't get a report live from the field for me the next couple of days, in addition to watching the playoffs, I'm going to be in my studio working on our new single, and I'm starting to do some adaptation of the action on my guitars. I'm actually dabbling in things that I think has Karen scared because she buys me a lot of expensive guitars, and she's probably afraid I'll wreck one. But we're going to be dabbling. But after that, I will be getting out. Now, is Dan Jacobs there? Are you saying the fish are lazy, Terry? You yeah, say they don't like to chase? Kind of like you, Dan. But they don't like to chase the, the minnows? No, in the wintertime when their metabolism is slower, they they just kind of kind of wander up and you're fishing through the ice. You can't move it along necessarily and get them to react. So you got to kind of sit for them. It's like that that last piece of candy in the dish or that yeah. last piece of pizza where everybody stares at it and stares at it and finally somebody eats it. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you that. I know what you're talking about. For sure. I always eat it, by, by the way. But yeah. what would you think of, uh, did you see Derek Wolf, a, a guest, a former guest on, on your show, taking out a giant, a, giant, a huge, uh, bop, I guess it was a bop, mountain lion with a bow yeah. and arrow? What would you think about that? Well, it was incredible. The size, that was a huge, huge mountain lion. I also know he's gotten some negative comments from people who don't understand that hunting mountain lions in this state is a way to control the population. We have probably over 5,000 mountain lions and the way that Parks and Wildlife keeps them controlled is by allowing hunting because they're predators. They get at livestock. They'll even start coming to town and eating dogs and things like that. So as majestic as a creature as they are, they do need some control because we just can't have an unlimited number and hunting is legal and it's a great way to control them. But that was an incredible accomplishment. I'm going to try to get Derek on maybe after. I know the dust hasn't settled. He's getting inundated with opportunities to talk to people. And we'll go through why you hunt mountain lions and how he did the hunt. So we'll get him on. How did he do the hunt? Did he use dogs or he just because I I always heard they were almost impossible to find because they hide. Right. Yeah, yeah. You almost have to use dogs when you're on a predator hunt. Mountain lions are very difficult to find unless you just happen to accidentally stumble on one, and you don't really want to do that either. No, you do. Okay, not. I, I got a couple questions for you though before I eat into too much of your time. Uh, does the new coach have to have some extreme credibility in order to change the culture? 
Yeah, I think that's what people are kind of missing here is that, one, the talent is not good, but the culture is even worse. And that's why I think you've kind of seen uh, George Payton, which we'll talk about during the show. I know he came from Minnesota, Terry. Don't get your feathers in a dander. But he's been kind of cast aside. They really need a complete reset with this organization. And last of all, I asked Dante for a surprise winner today in the playoffs. He thinks Dallas is going to roll over the 49ers. I'll let you talk to him about that. Do you have one? I think of the games, that was that that one's ripe, right? Uh, Dallas Dallas actually on paper should win that game. I just don't know. They're just you know they're kind of head cases in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I have no faith in Dallas at all. So I have no surprises. I, I'm just going to watch. Anyway, I will let you go, my friend, and I'll close this out so you can talk sports. Thanks, Coach. All right. That ends. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Thanks to Dante. Thanks to Karen for keeping us on the air. I hope you listen and enjoy what we talk about. We podcast all this on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You can go and uh, listen to the podcast, or you can find me on the Denver Sports page. Go to my page and podcast there. We'll see you next week. We'll let the Eagles take us to Dan Jacobson Sports on 104.3 The Fan. Such a love.